to connect every lesson with Jesus in the New Testament, because I want to show you that this, these, this collection of 66 books of different genres all has one ultimate message. It's all pointing to Jesus, our Redeemer. And so I, I want to show you how the Bible is relevant, how it applies to your everyday life, and how it all is pointing to Jesus. So I, I'm not going to put a date on it. We're just going to take it as it goes, and, and hopefully it'll be fun. And if it's awful and you hate it, then let me know, <laughs> you know but we'll just see. Um, uh, so today, okay, so by way of introduction, let me just give you a brief, a, just a brief, very quick introduction of the Bible in case you don't know. So the Bible, if I were to title this series, this long-term series, I think I'd call it something like Connect the Dots, because I just want you to see all the dots that are being connected from Genesis in every book, um, con connected ultimately to Jesus. Um, so if you don't know, the Bible is a collection of 66 books. It's not one book. It, it's Bible, that word means book of books. It's a collection of six, 66 books, different genres. There's poetry, right? There's prophecy. There's eyewitness accounts that you should read as if you're reading a newspaper report, right? Um, and so in the same way that we read different, we understand and interpret different genres differently, it's the same with the Bible. So when people say, oh, you should never take the Bible literally, that's like saying you should never take the library literally, no, you have to understand what genre you're reading to know whether or not you should take it literally, right? And so when Jesus said, cut off your hand or gouge out your eye, yes, it's in there. He wasn't being literal. He was using metaphor to tell us to deal with the sources of our issues, like cut it out if you have to, like throw the computer out if you have to, like, you know, like get a flip dinosaur phone if you have to, if that's the root of your issue. That, that's the message behind that. So there's an example right there of Jesus using a figure of speech and metaphor to teach us a lesson. Uh, but then when you read the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, the reports, we should take that very literally. Yes, he absolutely rose bodily from the dead and left the tomb empty. Um, so there's a, an introduction of the Bible. Um, it was written over a period of seven, or several thousand years, and I'll, I'll give dates as we get into each book. And then the background of Genesis was written by Moses, um, probably in the Sinai, the wilderness of Sinai, as an encouragement to encourage God's people and to, to bring them into this bigger story of why God has them wandering through the wilderness. And so Moses is taking them back to the very beginning of God's story. And um, so I just want to start, uh, and today we're going to cover Genesis 1. And the title that I have for today is Created to Be and to become, created to be and to become. Those are two different things. We are both created to be something, but we are also created to become something. So let's find out what that is. So Genesis 1, and you know, if you feel like, yeah, I've been in church all my life, I went to Sunday school, I know the Bible, I'm telling you, I get something new and fresh out of here every time I open this book. And so I trust that that will be your attitude. Um, today I'm going to be talking about the why of creation, not the when, okay? Not, not the timeline, 
not the, the seven days of creation. I'm not going to get into all that because for the sake of time, but also that's not my direction. I'm talking about the why of creation. But if you want to know more about the when, like, like the age of the earth and how long it actually literally took God to create it, I want to I encourage you with this. Someone said to me once, uh, Faith, I can't accept Christianity because there's no way I can buy this young earth. Theory. I'm, I'm just not going to buy it. So therefore, I will. I want to. I'm just throwing out the whole entire thing. Well, I knew this person really well, and and I realized I knew this was an excuse. Like, if you really truly were interested in Jesus and His death and resurrection and what that means for your life, you would go and dig into this creation thing. And the person never did it because that was an excuse. He just wasn't interested. And so uh, I I want to tell you that. Um, there are a lot of very smart, very intelligent people. There's a growing number of PhD scientists all over the world who are rejecting Darwin's theory. And you can even go to a website called descentfromdarwin.org, descentfromdarwin.org, and see a growing list of thousands of scientists who have signed this and said that, you know, it's not making scientifically more, it's not making as much sense as intelligent design. But I want to encourage you also, so first of all, if that's, if that's a challenge for you, if your heart is willing, then go look. Go look into it. There's so much information. There's so much evidence, at, at the very least, for intelligent design. At the very least, for intelligent design. But here's the other thing. Don't assume that you can never know God or have Jesus in your life if you haven't squared, if you're not, haven't squared with the age of the earth. It's not like Jesus was dying. When Jesus was on the cross, they crucified him between two thieves. One was repentant, the other wasn't. The one said to Jesus, the repentant one said to Jesus, Lord, remember me today when you come into your kingdom. You think Jesus hung there on the cross and looked at him and said, well, I don't know. Depends on how old you think the earth is. <laughs> I got that from Dave. Thank you very much. He said, this day you will be with me in paradise. The heart of the matter is what do you do with Jesus and the fact, the truth that he rose from the dead so that you can have a new life, so that you can live for all of eternity. That's the heart of the matter. All the rest will fall into place for you, yes, even intellectually, yes, it will, if you truly want to know, if you want to know. So I'm going to give a book away, The Case for the Creator. This is a New York Times bestseller. A journalist investigates scientific evidence that points toward God. If that is your brain, if that's your brain, if you like digging into scientific stuff and you can handle this read, I would like to give it to you. Raise your hand. Okay. There you go. All right, so let's get into the word. Genesis 1. That book is called The Case for the Creator. If you want to get your own copy. And you can ask me about other resources like that, too. There are plenty of them. Genesis 1, first book of the Bible, first verse of the Bible. We're going to end, as always, in the New Testament with Jesus. Genesis 1.
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a main point that you need to know today. One of the main points. God created the heavens, I believe that's the whole entire cosmos, and the earth. Verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Sounds kind of like us, B.C., before Christ comes into our life. Void, dark. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, this word hovering. Now, the Old Testament originally was written in Hebrew, this word in the Hebrew hovering. Actually, one of the meanings is brood. It was brooding. So here we, we're going to see the Trinity in creation. So here's God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom we call the third person of the Trinity. And he's kind of brooding over the face of the waters, like, like a hen would brood over her eggs. There's this sense of expectancy of life that's about to come forth. And so he's hovering over the face of the waters, and then God said, let there be light. And there was light. With just a word, just a word, just a spoken word, God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. I'm going to ask you, for the sake of time, because of what I really want to emphasize this morning, created to be and to become, I'm going to ask you, if you would like some homework, if you'd like to know where to read this week, just read these first two chapters of Genesis this week. So I'm going to summarize the next part portion of this chapter for the sake of time. And if you read it, you will find out that on the second day, God created this, the firmament, this, that is this vast expanse, which has been described as a massive vapor canopy high above the earth that created a greenhouse effect over the earth at that time, because this is before, rain didn't come until the day of Noah, the days of Noah. So that was on the second day. On the third day, God created the sea and the land. He separated land from the water, made both of them. On the fourth day, God created lights in the heavens, the, the, the two lights, one to rule the day, one to rule the night. That would be the sun and the moon. He created the stars. On the fifth day, God created the creatures of the sky and the sea. And then on the sixth day, God created the beasts of the earth. And this is how, what he said. He said, let's go to uh, verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. So God and he, 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 he did this with when he created the herbs. He, he said, uh, he said um, he, he, the earth brought forth grass that yields seed according to its kind. In other words, when God created the plants and the animals, he spoke the word and they were created, and he just gave this command that something would be set in motion that they would all reproduce. So God said concerning the animals in verse 24, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. So here is God commanding that this course of nature would be set in motion so that the animals would reproduce, right? Verse 26 is where we take a turn in this narrative. 
Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man, and the Hebrew here is mankind, not male, it's mankind, it's humanity. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Well, who's he talking to? This is the Trinity. So God is the original community. God by nature and by definition and by necessity is a community of three persons because relationship is the essence of life. Community, relationship within a community is God's idea so much so that he himself is actually defined as a community of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there was so much, and there is so much unity and harmony and love, unconditional love within the community that is the Trinity that God said, let's make, now let's make something new, something different from these creatures we've just created. Now let's make something that looks more like who we are. This is a very, very different and separate kind of creature, very different and separate from the animals. When he says, let's make man in our image according to our likeness, he's talking about let's make someone who, like us, has the capacity and the the ability to reason, to feel, to be empathetic, uh, to feel compassion, to be ethical, um, to to empathize, to has the capacity to forgive. I, I mean, do animals forgive each other? I, I'm sorry for devouring your young yesterday. I, I mean, God, this, this was such a unique, such a unique idea when God said, let's make man in our image. Let's make something that has a moral conscience that involves a sense of right and wrong. This is entirely different and unique from the animals. That's what God is saying when he says, let's make man in our image according to our likeness. And he says, okay, that's who they're going to be. Now what are they going to do? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. A lot of people don't like this idea that God would create humans to have dominion over the earth and over the animals. So God created man in his own own image. We'll get to that. But here's the thing about this dominion thing, because God goes on and tells them, he creates them, he says, I want you to subdue the earth, have dominion over it, subdue it. Here's the thing. What he's saying is, you're in charge. Like, you're in charge of this planet that I've just created. You would only put someone in charge of something that you made and you like very much and you care very much about. Every time God created something, he looked at it and said, this is great. He created the fish, the plants, the sea, the birds. This is good. You would only put someone in charge of that and tell them, now you're in charge. You're going to be in charge of all this if they are created in your image because they're going to take care of it the way you would. So that's why he could faithfully entrust the care of the planet 
to the humans he created because he's created them in his image and he loves his creation. So he knows Adam and Eve, they're going to cultivate, they're going to take precious good care of this planet that I've just created. You see, it's the fall of mankind that causes us to bristle at the thought that we are above and have dominion over the animals. Because, yeah, we've ruined it. And we don't take good care of the planet. That's a part of the fall. But there's redemption. A redemption has been set in process. And we're going to talk about that as we get into the Bible. So God is actually telling them, you're in charge. In other words, you take you take as good of care as this creation as I would. And he knows they will because he's just created them in his image. With a moral conscience, this is the way we care for this earth. And this is not what we do to this earth and to these creatures, right? Verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. Another very important thing about this, created to be. I'm on point number one. We are created to be a reflection of the image of God. Every single person you see, I don't care how different they are from you. I don't care what they believe. I don't care how much their beliefs rub you the wrong way and make you want to scream. I don't care. Every single human being created that you might rub shoulders with or live next door to or have to work with or see on the street or in the grocery store, every single person is created in the image of God. What does that mean? It means we are to treat them as such. God's precious, special, unique, prized creation. That, we, that means we look at every person, every single person God created, and we say, wow, that's God's masterpiece. Can you imagine how, how would the world's perception of the church change if we actually lived like we believed that? Let's make man in our image. God created man in his own image. And then what did that look like? Verse 27, in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. In other words, God said, the Trinity, if we want to make someone that is a reflection of us, of the Trinity, of all that God is, it has to be two kinds, male and female, because both of those reflect the nature and the character of God fully. And not only that, but that male and female, God will command to come together and be fruitful and live in a kind of relationship together as husband and wife that will also reflect the relationship of the, of the Trinity. So his idea was not to just, he could have just created Adam and that was it. Ooh, imagine <laughs> planet with only, well, I'm not going to say it. God created men and women with the idea that they would come together in a special way that reflected the harmony and the unity and the love and the transparency that is the Trinity. That's why he created them. One reason he created them male and female but also because males and females each uniquely reflect 
the attributes of God and his character. They protect, they provide, they nurture, they comfort men and women do. And so God created you, first of all, to be exactly who, who, who he created you to be. He loves what he created when he looks at you. He does not apologize. He never once has looked at a person and said, oh, man, shoot, I should have done that differently. <laughs> he loves what he created exactly as you are. And that's the first descriptor of our identity, interesting enough, is that not only are we created in the image of God, but as such, we are either male or female because it's a reflection of who he is, his nature. Then God blessed them, verse 28, and God said to them, now I want you to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion. There it is. Take care of, be in charge of, take good care of the fish, the birds, every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, every tree that yields seed. To you it shall be for food, and to the beast of the earth, and the birds of the air, everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every, every green herb for food. And it was so. Verse 31, last verse of Genesis 1. Then God saw everything that he had made, everything including you and me. And indeed, it, you, were very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Chapter 2 is a narrative all over again of the creation story, but this time the writer kind of zooms in and takes a more personal uh, turn, and we see a close-up picture of God creating Adam. And this is what it sounds like in verse 7. It says, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. There are many different Hebrew words in these, these, the previous chapter. Um, when God created the, the planet and nature and the animals, he, the Hebrew renderings are, there's like create, set in motion, make, this word form is different. It's unique. Uh, it actually is a Hebrew word meaning to squeeze into shape, to mold like a potter would mold clay. So where before we see God just speaking the word and things just come into existence, let there be light, let there be trees, let there be sky and sea and plants and animals. Now we see God actually in a very intimate fashion, getting on the ground, <clears throat> scooping up the dust and the dirt of the earth, and actually forming a human from the dust of the ground, a man. And he breathes life into his nostrils. Verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7 says, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living thing. But I'm still on the first point, created to be. We are created to be living beings that uniquely reflect the image of God in a way that animals cannot. Animals are here for our enjoyment and stewardship. I'm so glad God created them. 
but it was only us that he actually got on the ground and formed and molded and then personally breathed his own breath into, and the Bible calls it the breath of life. Well, where is Jesus in all this? We've talked about God speaking the word, creating. We've talked about the Holy Spirit, the other person of the Trinity, hovering over the waters with expectancy. Where's Jesus in all this? Let's go now to John chapter 1. Remember how Genesis starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Turn with me, if you will. Over to the New Testament, John. This is one of the Gospels. John the Beloved. John chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, look at that. Starts with the same exact phrase. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning, this is the same beginning that we've been reading about. In the beginning, this is the beginning of time, was the word with a capital W. The Greek is logos, where we get the word logic. I like to say that Jesus is the logic of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. With God and was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Who who is this talking about? If you you skip down and you go to verse 14, and we're going to come back and read the rest of it, but briefly, if you go to verse 14, it picks up on this idea of this person called the Word with a capital W, and it says, And the Word became flesh. And lived among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten, that means the unique, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was in the beginning with God, and he was actually the one through whom God created all things. So let's look at supporting scriptures. Does is the Bible, does it support itself? Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, in, the, in these last days, um, uh, let, let me go, I didn't write down verse 1 for context. Can you put verse 1 up there, Hebrews? Yeah. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, that's why we have the prophet books, Okay, verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Through whom did God create the earth? Is it clear? Jesus is the creator God. He was there in the beginning. Let's look at Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13. I'm going to give you the context. It's clearly talking about Jesus in Colossians 1 verse 13. It says, He, 
that is God, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Who is the Son of his love? Jesus. In whom, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. Now, this, when in Jewish, ancient Jewish thought, when they use the word firstborn, it, it wasn't always just talking about the, the person who was born first. It was, this is a matter of rank and privilege. This is speaking of Jesus in his rank and his privilege of having the inheritance the right of the firstborn. That's what we mean when we refer to Jesus as the firstborn. He's the image of God, the firstborn over all creation. He's the heir over what he created. Verse 16 says, by him, who, what's the context? Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus very clearly. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. That's interesting. We'll talk about that eventually. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him, that is Jesus, all things consist. That means are held together. He holds it all together, and he is the head of the body, the church, clearly still talking about Jesus who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So clearly we see again, Jesus is the creator. Proverbs 8, if read the whole chapter sometime, it starts out talking about wisdom and it per personifies wisdom. It, it talks about wisdom as though she is this, this beautiful person that we should prioritize in our life above everything else. But then as you get later into the chapter, you realize, oh, this is also talking about Jesus because it sounds like this. Proverbs 8.25 says, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth, while as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, this is clearly talking about creation, so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Jesus was there in the beginning with God, he is God, and it was through Jesus that God created the world. So let's go back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 4, John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I've been talking so far about what we are created to be. We are created to be caretakers of the planet, but more than that, we are created to be a reflection of who God is. We are created in his image. 
That's who we are all created to be. And whether someone wants to be or not, every person is created in God's image. We have God's imprint in our human wiring. That's why we have a moral conscience. That's why our conscience bothers us. Any person of any religion or non-religion has a moral conscience that says, eh, that's not cool. That's a reflection of who God is. So every person's created. So that's who we're created to be. But now let's move to the next point. Who are we created to become? John 1, 4 says, in him, we're talking about Jesus, right, clearly, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Beloved talking about a different John, John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear witness of that light with a capital L that all through him might believe. He was not that light, that's John the Baptist, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. There it is again. Jesus is the creator. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. You imagine coming to live on this planet that you yourself created with Father God and the Holy Spirit. And nobody recognizes you. He was just the carpenter's son from Nazareth. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him. Verse 11. He came to his own, his own creation, his own domain, his own domain. He came into it, and his own did not receive him. And here's where I want to end today on this verse, this thought. Who are we created to become? Verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, that is the legal authority, to become children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man. In other words, the, the circumstances surrounding your natural birth are irrelevant here. This is, this is a, a rebirth of your spirit. What's the requirement? Run through a bunch of religious hoops? No. It simply says to as many as received him, received him, to them... He gave the legal authority to become the children of God. And this is a special kind of reception. This is not just, oh, yeah, I, I receive Jesus as, oh, yes, he's one of those enlightened masters that's on a shelf with all my other religious icons. Oh, yes, Jesus, he's a really good philosophical idea and the very best way to live. Follow his teachings. Uh, no, 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 no. This is receiving someone fully and completely. This is a personal, intimate, welcoming them into your life and into your heart. This is, you are my source. 
of satisfaction. I can actually do without anybody, if need be, as long as I have you. That's receiving him. If you think you've got to have Jesus plus to make you happy, maybe you haven't fully received him as your all in all, as your everything, as your joy, your satisfaction, your fulfillment. See, this is an adoption. This is, that's why it says, to him he gave the legal right to become the children of God. Romans 8, 15 says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to make you fear. Fear what? Oh, I'm not worthy. I might not be a, a part of this family. God probably doesn't like me like he likes that brother or sister. No, Romans 8, 15 says, you didn't receive that spirit. That's not from God. Verse, it says, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, the word literally means daddy, father. The spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. God created you to be a reflection of his image, but he also created you to become his child. And when you really know you are, you'll act like it. How should someone who knows they are the legal adopted child of God, how should they act? I'll show you by way of illustration. In his book, What's Good About This News, David Bartlett tells this story. My wife and I have friends who have a wonderfully mixed family, mixed in part because one of their sons is their biological offspring, and the other children are adopted. Not long ago, they were explaining to the youngest child, the adopted one, what it meant for him to be adopted, how he had been chosen waited for, longed for, and welcomed with joy. As part of the story, they also had to explain that Mark, the brother, was their child biologically. When they had finished explaining what it meant to say that Tommy was adopted, he cried out, Oh, that's wonderful! Can we adopt Mark too? Do you know the way God loves you? As his legal, rightful heir to his creation. Joint heir with Christ, his only begotten son. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 9, as the father has loved me, in the same way that the father has loved me, his only begotten son, so have I loved you. As many as received him, to them, he came the right, gave the right, the legal authority to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. So there we have it. We have in the Genesis 1, 
God breathing the breath of life into us as his original creation. And then we have in the New Testament and John 1, Jesus we see. It's actually Jesus who is that life. And he is that light. And he comes into us and makes us a new creation. Created to become someone new. Have you received him? I mean, really received him. Really received all that he's offering you. Adoption into the family of God. God is your father. You are his beloved son or daughter. Have you received that fully so that your life starts to reflect it? Like that secure well-loved, adopted child. Everybody should be adopted. Is that how we live? Is that how we carry ourselves? That's up to us. I mean, he's provided all the love that we need, like we sing. It's up to us to receive it. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become to become. This is an instant becoming, and then it's a lifetime of learning to walk, like adopting a baby and then teaching him to walk. Have you received him? Do you know the way he loves you? Yeah, you know he created you, perhaps. You know what he created you to be. It's not just a nice person. Everybody wants to be that, and we fail miserably. He's created you to become someone who knows you're his kid, his favorite. His fa- I mean that. That's the way we got to know he loves us, his favorite. I went into a doctor's office once, and, and the doctor, her, she was a woman. I'll never forget. She had a sign right there on her, in her examining room, a sign that says, I'm Jesus' favorite. I thought, yeah, I know that. I, I, I know that sentiment. Do you receive him? Let's pray. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we are free in this country. We don't take that for granted. We're free in this country to open your word and study it. We ask that you would open your word to us, Lord. Reveal yourself to us. When you say Jesus is the light, that, that light with a capital L, that speaks of revelation. Humans are created to receive revelation of who you are. That's unique. That's unique. Would you give us revelation? Would you reveal to our hearts more and more who you are and who you created us, not just to be, but to become? To become. If you're here this morning and you know that you have not fully received Jesus Christ as the light for you, as your light, you know, you're not the light. No, he's the light, but you need him to come in and brighten your darkness, to to expel the darkness, to drive out the darkness. You need him to actually breathe new life into your spirit 
the same way he did when you were born. Now you need to be born again through the light of life breathing revelation into your spirit. If that's you this morning, just pray this with me silently to yourself. Jesus, I now know that you created me to become a co-heir with you of all that, of, of you, have, you have things for me to inherit. I, you've created me to be a child of God, to also call God my father in the same way that you do, Jesus. I realize now that that's why I was created. I don't want to just be a reflection of, of God's nature, but of his love of his heart to this world, to those around me. And so today, Lord Jesus, I receive you. Not just as my creator, but my light, my life, my life, all that I need. My savior, my master, my Lord. I confess my sinful unbelief to you. That is sin. And I confess that I am a sinful man, a sinful woman in need of a Savior. And you created me to save me. So I say yes to you. I receive you. I receive you, Jesus. I receive you. I take you. I take you for my own. I take you. I receive you. Thank you for saving me. Amen.